0: Hold on to your butt. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> Boop. You were saying? Welcome to episode 75 <sighs> of the Civil War Breakfast Club. Tonight I'm going to do a throwback intro and say I'm joined by the most awesome Civil War nerd I know. Even if he doesn't own a Monocacy hoodie, Darren Weeks. I'm his co-host, Mary, and I'm proud to say that I do own a Monocacy hoodie.
1: Wow. That was absolutely worth staying up all night for that intro. Good
0: job. Well done. Well done. <laughs> I told you it was the, so, be the worst intro ever. Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, we're three we're three quarters of the way to 100 and i get to do the intro to episode 75 and it was 75 wow and it was just as much of a train wreck as our valentine's day episode intro was which was like it's amazing how you 26. do this intro
1: every every other week and every single week it gets a little bit not better it's amazing i know how, how it's that like is. a train it's, wreck right great.
0: it's good it's good so anyway it's going on like i'm you? trying to How's... think of which civil war general that is like that you know, he started off really awesome, but then he ended up sucking at the end.
1: Oh well there's quite a few of those. Greg, we can we can talk I guess, probably talk about some cool. of those tonight perhaps perhaps.
0: So what's going on? What's how's your how's your day? Good, good. It's been busy, which is I'm totally cool with. But uh yeah, February good. we're halfway good. through February, which means we're almost in March, which means spring is almost here. So that's good. How about you? How are you? Same,
1: same. It's uh, it's great. It's a uh, life is good. A uh, little snow over the weekend, it's getting a little bit lighter in the morning, although it was really cold mm-hmm. today. So we got some good stuff coming up. Some, fun stuff coming down the pike and tonight we get to record we have have to do yet another podcast episode 75 who the hell would have thought we'd make
0: it a 75 i know it's crazy three quarters the way to 100 that's Wow, which hey. means we have to start... Yeah, see, I can... See, the Mary McClellan math skills have gotten... I've come a long way since... Uh, what was that? You you asked me what percentage of casualties there were at... Uh, was that second bull run or first bull run or something I like that? I think
1: that, that was like 100 years ago. But anyhow, <laughs> anywho, anywho. So I guess you're hosting, so I think of a very important question you need to ask. I do. What are you drinking yeah. tonight? Sir? Oh, I thought you never, never ask. I'm drinking Treehouse Snow because it's snowing out because it snows all the time now. And I'm drinking it out of my Abraham Lincoln because this episode tonight we're going to talk about is sort of the result of a proclamation he issued on January 1st, 1863, which will be a big part of this episode. Mm-hmm. What
0: about yourself? I am drinking Roman Candle by Bellwoods Brewing out of Toronto, which is one of my favorite Canadian breweries now. They've kind of topped collective arts for me. Um, and I'm drinking it mm-hmm. out of my first Kansas Colored Volunteer Infantry mug, which the awesome John Laroe, think he sent us both one of these so that's pretty he did did. yes i didn't get that one i
1: got a different one
0: i know you got tilden and you got another one too right
1: that was pretty good good stuff so yeah yeah, so so this this is fun so it's february it's cold So I figure, why not do like every old person does, Mary, and take a trip down to Florida? That's what every Canadian over the age of 60 does.
0: They go down to Florida.
1: And while we're heading to Florida for this episode, we can discuss one of the bloodiest battles ever fought in the Civil War, Mm -hmm. the Battle of a Lusty, also known as the Battle of Ocean Pond. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. So that'll be a good time. But before we get started, Mary, not to jump ahead... (laughs) <laughs> but but when this battle is over, the total casualty count percentage on both sides is going to be a whopping 27%, yeah. which is equal to Chickabaga. It's higher than Shiloh. it's just 3% less than the Battle of Gettysburg. So needless to say, this is the biggest Civil War battle that's ever going to be fought in the state of Florida. Not a lot of people study it.
0: No, no, they don't. And Florida is one of those ones where you kind of think like, oh, not much is going on there during the Civil War, but you have, you know, one of the bloodiest, if not the bloodiest battle of the Civil War, like just based on like percentage of casualties is fought there. It's pretty significant, you know, when you think about who's fighting there, like, you know, you have the United States Colored Troops um, fighting there as well. And there's some names that aren't really We don't know their names that much. Um, You know, you think about one of the the Union commander there, uh, General Truman Seymour. I was doing some research about him and he actually led a really interesting career in the Civil War and nobody talks about him. He and I mean, we'll get to this, but he was at the very beginning of the war. And he mm-hmm. was at the very end of the war. He's
1: kind of like the he's kind of like the northern version of uh of Johnson of uh, Johnson John, Joe Johnson. We yeah. Talk today, Joseph Johnson. Same yep. same type of deal. But yep. to understand a lusty Mary is kind of really to understand the importance of Florida and really why each each side really wants to hold it. You know, when the war started, you know, Robert Anderson was trying to defend you know Fort Sumter in yeah. Charleston, South Carolina, on April twelfth, eighteen sixty-one. Union forces were also landing at that same time at a place called Fort Pickens in mm-hmm. Pensacola, Florida. On the panhandle of Florida, you know, just south of Alabama, just east of Mississippi. And really, one, you know, once they got there, Union forces under Colonel Henry Brown. And the rebels in the state basically spent the next day, 30 days or so, just staring at each other. Just going to stare? We just going to stare at <laughs> each other. And the fort is going to remain in, in Union control. Now, the Rebs did try to seize that fort in October of 1861. This was known as a battle of, uh, of Santa Rosa Island. But for the most part, they were repelled. and The Union maintained that fort in that presence really throughout the war in Florida, mm-hmm. to be honest. The Union also controlled other parts of northern Florida, places like Jacksonville, Saint Augustine, Augusta, uh, Ferdinand Beach, places like that. Really, it was tough because to defend itself in the, in the war, Florida, for the most part, really had groups of
0: militias. Well, there's most such a small the men... population, there are only 140,000 residents in, it's the smallest um, population-wise, of the Confederate states. But most of the men who signed up for
1: the Confederacy got pulled out and sent elsewhere. Yeah. You know, there were 15,000 men from Florida who fought in the American Civil War for the Confederacy, and most fought in places like Virginia or Tennessee or e- Eastern mm-hmm. and Western theaters. You know, now Florida, despite that, it's a very pro-Southern state that really really embraced the Confederacy was really ignored by Richmond for the most part. You know, as I mentioned before, they had 15,000 guys who fought, Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't keep them in state. They shipped them out. In January of 1862, you know, the Confederate government, you know, did take control of the defenses of Florida. But for the most part, they were left to fight for themselves by the, those local militias. And despite how important the resources of, of Florida were, now the people who recognized how important Florida was was not the Confederacy, it was the, it was the Union, yeah. especially in Ohio when Mary named Quincy Gilmore, who was a mm-hmm. major general. Now, yeah. he was the commander of the Department of the South. He was best known really for the South for being one of the heroes of Fort Pulaski and that yeah. bombardment in Savannah. What Gilbert saw in Florida was a state that was extremely, extremely weakly defended, but you know, this, when, January first, eighteen sixty-three happened. The Emancipation Proclamation was taken effect. The raw source that he saw that he really needed to have was those emancipated slaves, yep. who by that proclamation were now able to fight for the Union. And you know, in the American Civil War, looking at some numbers, there were about one hundred eighty thousand black soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. About fifty-five percent, about a hundred thousand, came from Confederate states, of which a little more than a thousand did come from Florida. So there was a resource that the Union wanted to have.
0: The other things that that Gilmore. Recognizes too from this state are that there's the possibility that he could establish a pro union government there because he thinks it's just malicious fighting there as well it's you know if he invades it it could be a way to sever some of these supply routes that they have coming out of Florida too but also just to go in there and recruit these African-American soldiers that he needs because of the emancipation it, it was it was
1: a big part of it. it really really was so to that end on February 4th is 1864 now Gilmore is going to order the aforementioned Brigadier General Truant Seymour we'll talk about him in, in detail mm-hmm. he's in charge of the, the District of Florida And he's going to take troops from South Carolina and begin that invasion of Florida. Now, Seymour, he's a solid New Englander, Mary. You know, if you know this, he's from Vermont, from
0: Burlington. Burlington, yes.
1: Great place up there. Graduated from West Point, class of 1846, that star-studded class. The big
0: class with McClellan and Stonewall, Jesse Reno, uh, Stoneman, Pickett, I think. And don't uh, forget Patty O'Rourke. Yep, exactly. no. 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 <laughs> no, I was <laughs> like, was I Darius thought you Cushion. were going to say for some reason. I thought you were going to say Darius Couch, and I'm like, Darius
1: Couch. No, you got you got the big boy McClellan, Jackson, Reno, and Peggy. You got you got the big boy, but uh, but he graduated like 18th or 19th in that class, so he was yep. towards the upper half. Again, a guy not really many people know. He fought in Mexico. He was brevetted at the Battle of um, of uh, Churubusco as well as Contreras. He was stationed. And I know where you go with this, Mary. Yep. He was stationed at Fort Moultrie heading into the secession crisis. Yep. And he was going to be with Robert Aderson at Sumter. He was going to actually command one of the artilleries.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was. And he was, um, so he... He was at Fort Sumter. And then after that, so he's, he fights in the Peninsula campaign. He's at Gaines Mills. He's at Glendale. He's at Malvern Hill. He's in a lot of these prominent battles with the Army of the Potomac. He's at Second Bull Run, South Mountain, Antietam. Um, But after this, after Antietam in November 18th, 1862, so before the Battle of Fredericksburg happened, so he's obviously not part of that, he gets sent to the Department of South and he's in charge of the District of Florida. He's actually going to be the guy that commands the unsuccessful attack at Fort Wagner.
1: He's going to be the guy who puts that fifty fourth Massachusetts yeah. in the front, right? Yeah. Now the thing about about Seymour, Mary, he's an aggressive fella to a fault he right? is he's that he's what, that go 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 guy
0: that's know? what i like um you know kind of picked up about him when i was reading about all these battles he was in and just you know even in the mexican-american war it sounded like he was pretty aggressive as well
1: he was now the thing he, a little too aggressive at battery Wagner, because you know what happens he gets hurt he gets hit by a shell yeah. so he's been put on the dl for a little while so when when, when gilmore looking to send seymour down from south carolina to florida this is his first mission since battery wagner yeah. so he so this since his. woman. So the fun, fun fact about I don't know if you know this, Mary. A fun fact about Truman Seymour: he was an accomplished painter.
0: I yes, I talk, was just going to say watercolor. I'm talking
1: port portraits, not houses. I mean, yeah. this guy had he could. You could still go to museums today and probably see his yep. stuff in Europe. You can, right? yeah,
0: yeah. Cause see, um his he wasn't like, you know, he's not like a Van Gogh. He's not like that type of famous, but apparently in Europe he was quite pop- popular and the style that he painted in was watercolor. But you can oh. go to Europe and you can see his paintings in some museums. And he actually um he actually passes away in Europe, in Florence, Italy.
1: Yeah, I think he's buried in Italy. I think i I think yeah, I remember that.
0: Yeah, from... he passes away in um in, in Florence, Italy. Because mm-hmm. that's where he went post civil war. Good for him. Good
1: for him. So Seymour is gonna amass an army of about 5500 guys under three infantry brigades from new york and new england he's gonna have one brigade of cavalry from from massachusetts he'll have some um he'll have some artillery from rhode island and he will you know he'll move south into florida like a big mass of snowbirds they're all gonna hang down all these <laughs> northern, northeast guys that's right? what Just happened like on november
0: life. the 8th uh 2021 when the border opened yep. there was a no huge question. mass of snowbirds no that went down there but with
1: this 5,500-man 5, army pouring towards Florida, the Rebs yep. are not going to sit idly by Mary. No. They're, going to get wind of, they're going to get wind of this, and they're also going to organize an army to try to defend Florida. This task is going to fall under the responsibility of Brigadier General Joseph Finnegan, mm-hmm. who is the commander of the Department of East mm-hmm. and Central Florida.
0: Yeah. Right? But it's it's regard that actually figures Seymour out that he's headed to Florida.
1: Right, is going to be the one who's going to is going to send the orders, but Finnegan's going to be the guy who's going to get sent down. Now, he's an Irish guy, Mary. He yes. hails from County Monaghan in Ireland, of all places. So he's another Irish guy fighting the Confederacy, like your uh, like your, your Franklin boy there from the Battle of Benjamin Franklin, Pat, Patrick Claber. Right, mm-hmm. and and so the thing about him was interesting about Finnegan is he'll move to uh, to Florida in eighteen thirty from from Ireland, and he will amass a fortune building railroads. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be this railroad tycoon, right? Yeah. I don't know if he had a mustache to twist one of those guys, but he was one I'm of those dudes. I'm looking at a
0: picture of him and he has like the, the goatee and it's kind of long. So he probably was like, I don't know.
1: He probably did. That. When the war begins, you know, he has a 40 room mansion in Ferdinand, Florida. He's yeah. he, this is a rich dude. He'll join the Confederacy soon uh, after the after 18, uh, April of eighteen Uh sixty two. He'll assume command of that Southern forces uh in central and eastern Florida. That I mentioned fun fact about that mansion there. You know what happened to that mansion after the war? I don't know that forty room mansion. It oh. was seized by the Freedmen's Bureau. It was the orphanage for black children.
0: Oh my so God! There there's go, our Finnegan. there's our Howard reference.
1: Yes, there you go. So, for the um, win. So he so Ooh. he eventually he eventually sued and ended up getting it back. Um, so he was theoretically, I guess, a robber baron who kicked kids out of an orphanage. Yep. I guess Jeez, theoretically, but, but that's but that's but that's what they did to him. So in February of 1864, um, he'll get this task to defend Florida, you know, from from Beauregard there. Yeah. And you know, his role is simple: you want to stop Seymour's troops from moving on Jacksonville and try to hold the state and its supplies in the Confederacy. Now, Florida was a prime beef producing state at the time, yep. so that was that was part of it too. And fitting it was no dummy, Mary. He knew that he had an extremely tough task defending Florida. Yep. He knew with Florida, Mary would be no day at the beach.
0: See what I did there? <laughs> okay. There you go.
1: That's why this. There you That's why you're the best, right there, Mary. <laughs> but um, but but the the army he put together though was similar in size to Seymour's. He had about five thousand guys. Um, and he's going to have 5,000 under two brigades of yep. Floridians and Georgians and some cavalry under a guy named Colonel Carraway Smith, who's going to be mixed of- of George and Florida yeah. as well. Now, Finnegan's going to set up his camp at a place called alusty Florida, Mary, mm-hmm. which is just south of Ocean Pond. It's about 50 or so miles west of Jacksonville. He thought at the time that his army was probably too weak to do much against the Union. If Seymour tried to get around his flank and cut him off, he probably thought he was screwed. Yeah. Or that's so it would seem. But we're going to see as how this, when this battle kind of unfolds here, how his mindset kind of changes. So fast mm-hmm. forward, Mary, to February 14th, 1864. You know what day that is?
0: It would be Valentine's Day. It's also Hancock's it, birthday and go, the go. day that William Tecumseh Sherman passes away. Wow. As well.
1: Okay. I, I would have accepted any of the three. Congratulations. <laughs> you got all three.
0: Three some. We, general...
1: Okay, well, here you go. Ooh, <laughs> all right. So, you, so, so Gilmore, that Union general, he's he's gonna on this on Valentine's Day. I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, Mary, but he's gonna meet with Seymour in Jacksonville. Okay, mm-hmm. he's gonna tell he, he's Gilmore's gonna tell Seymour. Listen, here's the deal. I know you're aggressive, but I want you to stay in Jacksonville. I want you to build defenses because I don't think your army's strong enough to go inland and do anything yet. So just cool your jets, take yep. it slow. Maybe take a Jaguars game in. Just stay in <laughs> Jacksonville and just chill. And, if, you know, if, at this point, Goldmore thinks he's got his point across and he's going to head back to South Carolina and he's going to leave his army in the hands of, you know, of Truman Seymour. Not
0: but he's, got, uh, g- he's got other ideas. He's kind of like one of these, you know, kind of reminds me of Lucius Polk where it's like, they're not orders, they're kind of guidelines. And if he feels that he needs to go outside of them for whatever reason, um, he will. So
1: he... Do you remember when, like... Your parents would go away for the weekend. They would yeah. tell you, Mary, don't have a party. And you yeah. sit there and go, I absolutely will not. The second the car trip, the corner of the labats came out, the yep. friends came out. Totally. Over, yep. that's, that's, totally kind of, that's kind of what he does with this. He's told to stay put and not move. Yep. But literally the second Gilmore leaves... You know, he, he he sees an opportunity here, man.
0: He does. He goes in and he does several raids in Northeast and North Central Florida. And he encounters little resistance and he sees several Confederate camps. He gets some artillery pieces and he liberated some slaves, which is what, you know, they wanted. They wanted those slaves, um, you know, and even though they're not supposed to be enslaved at that point, of course, the Confederates aren't listening. But uh-huh. they needed those African-American troops, right? So anyway, this kind of makes them think like, wow. Like, I'm not encountering much resistance. Just how far can I go here? And can I set up that government that the Union wants, that pro Union government? Because all I'm encountering is militia. Like, that's so he's getting, I think, a little bit arrogant as it's going along and thinking, yeah, I got it. I mean, that Gilmore guy told me that, uh, you know, my troops weren't uh, ready for this, but they are. Well, he he sees
1: the Sewanee River there's a railroad bridge that's crossing yeah. the river and he decides he's going to take his army West and he's going to destroy this bridge. Um, and that's what he's going to do. And he pulls out his pen and he's going to write a letter to Gilmore. And Gilmore probably had just sat down on his Ottoman back in, in South Carolina with his chair with, with a nice drink jacket. Right. Yeah. And he sits down and the, the letter, I quote her the letter. Here's the letter something he wrote to Gilmore. The excessive and unexpected delays experienced with a locomotive, which will not be ready for two days, compelled me to remain where my command can be fed, and not enough supplies can be accumulated to permit me to execute my intentions of moving to the Suwannee River. But now I propose to go out without supplies with the object of destroying the railroad bridge. So Gilmore gets this letter, and he's thinking he's going to stay put. This letter, Gilmore's probably reading this going like three times, going, I didn't tell him to do this, but he's no. telling me he's gonna do it anyway. Well, I told but you, now... they're not
0: orders, they're guidelines.
1: And so not only is he gonna leave Jacksonville, he's gonna do it without supplies. So you know what, you know what Gilmore does? He's like Pff. he sends an officer to Jacksonville to say, dude, slow your roll. Yeah, but the officer gets there, guess where Seymour is? Gone.
0: Yeah. he's not it's... there anymore. Just disappeared. Did he just disappear? On... He Didn't just disappeared where he was. Like, a,
1: like, like a Friday night, you know, waiting for the phone ring. Never came. Booker. When the phone rang, you knew it wasn't Seymour. That's who it was. Okay. So he's already gone. It's too late. And the obvious issue for Seymour, okay, forget, you know, Gilmore's, you know, whatever. Seymour's going now. The problem with Seymour, besides the fact that he has no supplies, he is completely oblivious to the 5,000-man army that Finnegan has in a lusty that's going to be sitting waiting for him. So you can kind of yeah. see where this one's going.
0: He is not expecting to encounter like uh-huh. an army, like what Finnegan has at all. He's expecting what he's encountered all the way along on his little like jaunt through Florida. That it's just going to be militia. He's going to be able to liberate some slaves and recruit them into the army and all that. He's not expecting things what he's will about go to get.
1: wrong. That's why we have orders. Is it possible you misinterpreted them, sir? <laughs> No, so <sir. laughs> You know. But so when Gilmore is, you know. Finnegan is going to be set is going to be set up now. Yep. Finnegan is going to move his army um, to a really really good defensive point along the lusty railroad. Now there's a small little corridor, okay so that's basically a road um, that has the approach that goes through there. It's basically highway number 90 now in modern days, right yeah. It has really impossible to pass swamps on both sides and it's got that ocean pond just to the north. So it's kind of one way in, one way out. It's kind of a tough spot. It's a great location to defend. It's even a better location, Mary, to pull an ambush, right? Yeah. And that's what Finnegan is going to do. He's going to entrench his men at lusty and he's going to wait for Seymour's arrival and ambush him at that location. Well, I mean, that's the plan anyway.
0: Yeah. And they had built strong right. earthworks, too, because what he wants to do is he wants to draw Seymour in to that position. This is where, where they've built their earthworks. This is where Finnegan and his men need to fight. And that's not at all how this goes down.
1: Oh, I mean, Seymour's army, you know, on the northern side, like I said, he's got three brigades to set up how the how this, this is going to roll. He's got one under a New Yorker named William Barton, the second under uh, Joseph Hawley, and a third under James Montgomery. We'll talk about him in a little while. He commands that brigade of all USCT guys. Um, he's also got a cavalry commanded by uh, a guy named Gus Henry, as well as artillery by John Hamilton. Now, they will leave a place called Barber's Plantation, a town called McClenny, Florida, and it's about halfway between Jacksonville and Alusty, um, and just west of, of the town of Baldwin, if you're familiar with Florida. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of in the north and in the central. They are going to travel in three parallel lines right along that Highway 10, if it's modern day. Yeah, they're uh, basically they're going, going along the Florida.
0: They're basically going kind of along the Florida and Atlantic and Gulf Central Railway.
1: Right. They're going to use a railroad as kind of a pivot point is what they're going to do. So um, on February 20th of 1864, a guy named Henry Little Mary, he uh, he won the Medal of Honor, and and he's part of the 7th New Hampshire we're going to talk in detail about. He's going to write, At daybreak, we quietly fell into line and crossed the southern fork of the St. Mary's River and started for the front. It was one of those beautiful Floridian days. You just picture them walking. It's nice and warm. They're chilling. But by early afternoon... That beginning part, that vanguard, if you will, of Seymour's men are going to begin to bump into Rebel cavalry, that guy, Caraway Smith, I mentioned.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Now, Carrot, Car- I was going to,
0: no, no, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was going to, Caraway Smith, he, he has a really good quote describing how this whole battle starts, right? Smith is in charge of the Rebel cavalry, like I mentioned. He writes, I discovered the enemy about four miles distance from our camp, occupying in force the second crossing of the railroad from Elasti, right? I immediately imported this fact and directed to, uh, directed Clinch, that would be Colonel Duncan Clinch of the of the Fourth Georgia Cavalry, to advance a body of skirmishers, of which the regiment was to attack the enemy's pickets, which he promptly did, when they were met with a much larger force of enemy, which compelled them to retire. So, picture how this is going now: you've got a cavalry force and a picket line, and now you've got Seymour's guys who are coming in waves, right? And when this whole thing starts, for the most part, it's kind of 50-50. It's 5,500 guys for the Union, yeah. 5,000 guys for the Confederacy. But the element of surprise is going to quickly disappear in the Confederacy.
0: Yeah, it, it does. And they, they're out there. And, like, you know, poor Seymour assumes he's just facing um, militia that he had fought against previously. So he he's caught a little bit off guard, too. Um, but Finnegan sent out his cavalry to lure the Union to their main line. But he ends up having to send out additional troops because they fight pretty hard. Um, and the fighting is beginning two miles from the Confederate line and it's at Ocean Pond. And this is not at all where he needs the fighting to be. Uh, Seymour,
1: you know he, like you said he, he's expecting this to be militia, but as he gets further and further, it's getting stiffer and stiffer and harder he just is he's yeah like, what and they're the feeding
0: they're both sides are doing the whole thing where they're feeding their troops in piecemeal as well, mm-hmm. which is a really shitty thing to do in a battle.
1: You know, They're also and, battling
0: in Pine Woods, too.
1: Right. So, well, well yeah, the, the terrain's going to be interesting. We'll get to it in a second when they finally kind of kind of, they recklessly expose themselves, both of them, do, right? Now, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon on February 20th, Finnegan, you know, he, don't forget, he had that strong position, right? Yeah. Where the Swampson is on the side, Joker's on the right, here he is, that whole deal. Mm-hmm. He's He's got a really strong location to fight. He's going to Leroy Jenkins it out of there. For whatever reason, he's near that uh, losty Railroad. He knows Seymour's guys are coming. And they're still a few miles away. But instead of waiting, he's going to advance. And what he's going to do is going to send out one of his brigades under, under Alfred Colquitt. He runs one of his brigades. And sends them towards this oncoming rush of Federals. So now instead of waiting to ambush, he's going to go meet them. He also doesn't know how many Union guys there are. It was a really, really risky move at the time and in hindsight that he did that. Because if he stayed where he was, he would have had them in a bottleneck and he would have been shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. But he decided to out aggressive Seymour. The aggressive Seymour, he's going to go out and meet him instead.
0: Are, is there no intelligence gathering going on on either side?
1: Apparently not, Mary. in Florida? Would... <laughs> God. It's
0: such... Just kidding, maybe. God. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: but but it, 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 it is a strange decision, though, if you think about it, right? Because he has such a clear advantage and now instead of that, he's going to fight mano a mano
0: mm-hmm.
1: with Seymour. Now, Seymour is going to approach and he's going to immediately send in his brigade under Joseph Hawley yes. into the fields. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this guy, okay? Hawley's guys are men from the 7th Connecticut uh, under Benjamin Skinner, okay, yeah. as well as the 7th New Hampshire under yeah. Joseph Abbott, and then members of the 8th United States Colored Troops under Charles Fribbley, who we'll talk more about, okay? The problem is almost immediately something happens with communications and the whole thing gets screwed up.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a, I don't want to say it's like a Chickamauga thing because they don't go and move an entire division. But something gets screwed up when they're trying to, they were told to form by company into line and something got miscommunicated along the way. The orders got mixed up. And they were all like just all over the place, and they could not reform their line by the time they had to to fight. And one guy said, the mistake of our commanding officers could not be remedied. The ground was thickly becoming dotted with bodies of the fallen as well, as they're still trying to form into their lines. Yeah.
1: So Holly's trying to give his order, okay? And it gets – whatever the order was, it's going to get misinterpreted by the 7th New Hampshire, and all the companies become – watch it now – discombobulated
0: (laughs) – it's a cluster okay.
1: They they all get messed up and out of position. Henry Little, we talked with him before that quote about the beautiful Florida sunshine from the 7th. He has this quote: An order was given by General Hawley to deploy columns on the 5th company, which was the Colored Company. Colonel Abbott, commander of the 7th New Hampshire, repeated the order clearly and ordered the battalion to face to the right and to the left when General Hawley, finding himself wrong, said, On your eighth company, Colonel Abbott. When again, seeing his mistake, he said, on your 10th company, sir. So you can see where this is going. All the companies except the 10th, having already faced to the right and left, were marching to get in line as though deploying on that fifth company. And the company trying to deploy in line became greatly embarrassed as being under fire and giving the wrong orders. The battalion became so mixed up. That it could not be reformed. So in a nutshell, they were all walking in different directions. I'm picturing the movie.
0: Up. I'm picturing the movie Stripes right now. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's exactly right? what they're doing.
1: So men are men stood and fought. They were completely mixed up and confused. Yep. Holly, ironically, an anti-slavery guy from North Carolina of all places, he said that uh, it must have been someone else who misunderstood the order. And oh. he didn't take blame for it. What a surprise. So oh, so he's been like Longstreet. Right. Nice. In the end, only one company actually faced the enemy. The rest moved around while under fire in confusion trying to find out where to go. Right. But you know what, though? They still fought hard. Yep. Many had those old antiquated muskets. Yep. And and, and they were, you know, and they were falling uh, right and left. Is Holly was really being blamed for that whole fiasco, just like that quote you said.
0: Yeah, well, I, it's described as a disorganized mob, which I have another word for that, and that's clusterfuck. Like, this is an absolute clusterfuck that they're they're going through. And the fact that they're still able to fight and fight pretty hard is is a miracle. But this is just like, and yeah, Holly's going around saying, oh, it wasn't me. He's doing the whole shaggy thing, right?
1: He's doing the shaggy thing. But you know what? The 7th is taking a beat down. And so what is going to do now... He's going to put in his eighth U.S. colored troops under Colonel Charles Fribly, right? He's going to put in his his eighth. Yeah. Now these U.S.C.T. troops, they had very, very, very little experience. They, okay,
0: they have none. They're organized between September of 1863 and January of 1864 at Camp William Penn. Um, it's in, uh, I think, in Pennsylvania, and they had only been formed for a few months and they had no combat experience and they're still not completely trained in how to do like the army drilling and the formation so they're probably getting these orders and they're like what the fuck are we supposed to do we even had the training for this right they had been mainly like working on railways and stuff a lot like what we saw the 54th doing like early on in the movie glory right like Uh just doing kind of stuff like that not really any combat but then when it came time for combat they didn't have the training that they needed for it
1: Oh, they did you know lieutenant, uh, lieutenant Oliver Norton Mary the uh, a white officer in the 8th USCT he's going to write a couple of books on this warning. Yeah, he's going to have and he's going to talk about the experiences of the black troops at Alusty right mm-hmm. so I'm going to read again okay so fair warning he writes we were double quick for a half a mile and came under fire by the flank we formed a line with empty muskets while under fire and before we loaded Many of the men were shot down and were stunned as balls hit their heads and legs, and men curled to the ground like frightened sheep in a hailstorm. They recovered their senses, but did not know how to shoot with effect. And Colonel Fribly, without orders, gave the order to fall back, firing as and as we went. So, just like you said, these guys had no experiences. No experience. They got there. They weren't even, didn't have their muskets even loaded. They had to load them at the time. And then they still don't know how to shoot them.
0: Yeah. No, they didn't. And, and
1: meanwhile, oh, and they're getting raked. They're getting, they're getting drilled. They're getting, I mean, it's a bloodletting while it, they're standing there, you know,
0: it is. Yeah. And like Norton, he's seen some shit in his time. I mean, he was with, um, you know, strong Vitson at Gettysburg at little round top. So he's seen his fair share of some pretty horrific fighting. Right. Um, and he described a lusty as the most destructive fire I ever knew. Color bearer after color bearer was shot down and the color seized by another. And this just kept going on and on and on. Um, and he said, "Like I said, this is a guy that's seen some shit. He's seen a lot of it now.
1: You know, saw this on his gravestone, by the way.
0: What? Seen I, some shit. I've seen some shit. <laughs> Oliver
1: Norton. Here lies Oliver Norton. He saw some shit. That's what it says on his gravestone. I thought that I was what shot. was on
0: Howard's gravestone. Oh,
1: please. God. <laughs> anyway, but you know what though? As this as this goes on, I mean, they're going to start to fall back and fribly Their colonel is going to be killed, shot yeah. in the heart. He's yeah, he's going to be, you know." As I, and he's gonna be. He's gonna drop instantly. Did
0: he give Love a soon, bad name?
1: I think so. I did not want to say it, but he certainly was. You know, <laughs> he was living on a prayer, but he didn't make it. <laughs> now, soon after he goes down, the second and commit got a guy named major bird. He's gonna be in second and commit. He's gonna shot in both legs, and he's gonna go
0: down. Yeah. Okay. Norton mentioned both mean? of them too.
1: Right, and it's gonna fall to a third guy. Now, got a captain named R. C. Bailey, who um is gonna take over. And he's going to try to rally the regiment, but you know what? He has no idea what he's doing and the men know it. And they're like, he's trying to, he just, he's like yep. that guy he's in charge. The eighth is going to finally retreat this eighth USCT. They're going to lose over 300 guys in this, in this yeah, battle. And they right? fight, which is a, they
0: fight hard though. But isn't this a little bit like what happens at P Ridge? Remember at P Ridge, like they lost like two uh, commanders. And then the one that was like left in charge was like, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't want to do this kind of thing he must
1: have some kind of training but you know you, you don't anticipate if you're the you don't anticipate being the you don't third think you're going to get in you don't think you're going to get in the game as a yeah. third quarterback that's kind of what happened right yeah now bailey's going to do his best but he's going to ultimately have to fall back um as these usct guys fall back the rebs are going to continue to push forward cole quits aggressive go 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 he's going to move his forward his um brigade towards that union line and he's going to get support from brigade of georgians that are george harrison Not that George Harrison, Mary. (laughs) Different George Harrison, okay? And and at this point, they're going to have a one-mile-long battle line, these Confederates. Yeah. Okay? So they got a real strong line. Now you have Colquitt and Harrison together, okay? Um, Seymour is going to try. He's going to try to counterattack, right? He's going to send in a brigade under William Barton, we mentioned a little while ago. They're all New Yorkers, and they're going to be out of the 47th, 48th, and 115th New York regiments, and they're going to step forward to do what they can to kind of stall that rebel onslaught that's coming, and they're going to have some success initially. They're going to stall Colquitt, and they're going to turn the battle at that moment into a stalemate. And the men are gonna be standing in this open field just firing away at each other. And that's the thing is this this, this terrain, Mary. Is there an open field? And they're not in mm-hmm. swamps or trees. You know, think of think of the wheat field at Gettysburg. That's kind of what it is. Yeah, that's just standing like. there and it's going back and forth and back and forth. Now the rebs are gonna have problems of their own on this. Okay. And it was it was a part of the residual effect earlier from a, the retreat of Holly's fact. I mean, I mean the union guys. Yeah. When the Union retreated, they left their cannons. They left their artillery because they couldn't take them, right? So as Colquitt's men are moving forward, they're approaching those cannons. And what do they do? They start turning the guns and start firing on these New Yorkers, right? And that's going to, again, get that Confederate momentum going again. Barton's going to try to keep Colquitt back by putting three regiments into parallel lines He's going to try to fill an open space left by that 7th New Hampshire and that 8th USCT. But Barton's guys are going to continue to take a beating now. You know how many guys Barton lost his brigade? 811 guys in this. So we're talking about major, major bloodbath for the Union so far.
0: Yeah, it's not going very well. But then the tide begins to turn a little bit because the Confederates, even though they've captured several of these artillery pieces, they start to run out of ammo. And... This is, like, the point where they start searching the wounded and dead soldiers for more ammo, well, and it gets really dire
1: for them. Well, ha- what mm. happens is they're moving so fast yep. that they realize their ordnance train is a half a mile behind. Yep. So they they can't keep up. That's how fast they're moving. So many of these guys, mainly the 6th Georgia and the 32nd Georgia, they run out. And so, um, you know, Colonel Harrison, okay— He's commanding that brigade, and he says that he says, as it after the battle, it was whispered down the line, especially in the sixth and thirty second, that the ammunition was was failing with no ordnance train in sight. So, just like you said, they're rifling the bodies at this point. And Harrison is telling Colquitt ain't got no got left. What what am I going to do? Colquitt tells him stand your ground. They have to stay there. Don't move. Imagine that. So, Harrison. You know, many of these guys in the 6th and 32nd are literally standing for 20 whole minutes on battle line with a weapon. They can't use. just stand it. Oh, my God. And they, they can't move. So 20 is – so Harrison, you know, he sees what's going on. You know what he's going to do? George Harrison is going to personally mm-hmm. gather troops, and they're going to head down the road. We don't know if it was called Penny Lane. Maybe it was. <laughs> but he's going he's gonna to gather some guys and head back to that ordinance train. What they're going to do is they're going to bring weapons. They're going to bring ammo up. Yeah, and they're also going to restack these guys.
0: They're also going to bring some reserves up with them too—the first Florida battalion and Bonad's battalion—and they're going to be able to continue advancing again because this gives them the momentum that they need. Um, and by now, it's late afternoon. And Seymour is starting to have second thoughts about what he's done.
1: because yeah, now, it, it, you know, when the when Colquitt and Harrison got the ammo back. It was like they it still took a little time for them to get to get them, you know, to fill the yeah. cartridge boxes and stuff yeah. like that. But once they got all their weapons, it was like a shot of adrenaline. Right. So Colquitt's going to again push his men forward and Seymour, who um, the thing about Seymour, though, which is amazing. He never noticed the slack in fire. He missed a real good opportunity because those guys stood there, a lot of them with no yeah. bullets. And he didn't they didn't even notice it. And you want to talk about missing a chance. The writing was, you know, at this point, that was exactly what's going on but seymour had to know just like you said the writing was on the wall at this point yeah they're getting driven back and what he's going to do is he's going to he still has one more card to play at least that's how he thinks yeah he still has james montgomery's brigade and he's going to put them forward Now, james montgomery he's commanding the 35th usct uh, who was under William Reed, yeah. as well as the famed 54th Massachusetts of, of you know, Battery Wagner fame. I wonder Robert how Shaw, they who... felt
0: when they saw Seymour and they're like, oh, fuck, it's that guy. Again. Well,
1: <laughs> it, what's, 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 exactly. what's funny is Montgomery is, is actually still commanding the regiment with Edward, Edward Hollowell, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of him, by the way, that's where the movie gets him wrong. I don't know if you know that, Mary. Montgomery was a strong abolitionist. He was. Mm-hmm. He hated the South and he did punish yeah. South Carolina. But the movie made him look like a real prince. Like he just did. Yeah. But um, he was actually, he was actually, they actually got that a little, a little bit wrong. But yeah. um, Montgomery basically had to rush to the battlefield because he he got called up, and many of the men in the 54th and the 35th had to drop their backpacks or haversacks, sort whatever of, they had, mm-hmm. and run double quick to the field because they 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 had to get there quick. While they're running, they're seeing the dead bodies and the injured men and the people going the back of the lines, and they know they're in for it. as they go to that spot of the field, yeah. one soldier in the 54th, he said, "When we got there, we commenced with severe fighting, and the enemy soon gave way for some 200 yards. So you can see right off the bat, they had a little bit of success. But the thing is, the 3050 U.S.C.T. and the 54th Mass." Um, Yes, they are going to slow Colquitt's charge to a point, mm-hmm. but that was not their job. They were not there to set up a defensive line and change momentum, push it back. What they were there for was to slow them down so a lot of us, Seymour's men could get the F out of Dodge at this point. They were kind of the um, the speed bump they were put in. And Montgomery's guys do slow Colquitt down,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but he's going to continue to drive thanks to that six and 32nd Georgia, with now all new ammo, um, they're going to drive towards the uh, the union right flank on the left flank. You're going to have the six Florida and they're going to kind of push like a cauldron North or uh, it wasn't it was actually Southeast, but towards yeah. the union. Yeah. And what they did is they enveloped them. And so they, you had, you know, you had Confederates on your right, left and the middle flank in uh, the middle. So you, both your flanks are covered and your middle's being pushed. And it was just a full envelopment, and, and they, they, basically were screwed
0: at that point yeah they and as they're you know as the unions retreating they're having to leave behind their wounded they're also having to leave behind a large part of, amount of equipment so be it artillery and ammo and all that like they're losing a bunch of shit right um just because of the hasty retreat that they were under but the confederate well, you know eventually the confederates do lose momentum and they can't keep up with them
1: well, no, right. It's getting, it's getting late in the day. Yeah. I mean, there, were, there was enough set of inevitability for the Union. Montgomery's men knew they were beat. Um, they, were, they were the last brigade. They had to fall back. But Dusk is settling in now. Seymour at this point is going to order a full retreat back to Jacksonville while those 54th Massachusetts guys, and he had some guys from the 7th Connecticut too, uh, they're going to be in the rear fighting but at this point, they're doing it exclusively to let the others escape. They're, they're, that's exactly what they're doing. They become like the time. 16th
0: main. You
1: know what the 54th mass does? Because it's dark and they can't see, they start cheering. Because they think that by cheering, the Rebs think they're going to have reinforcements coming. They try oh, every
0: trick I did in the read book. read that about them. Um, right?
1: Yeah. They try every trick in the book. It doesn't work. So eventually, you know, the fake cheers, that doesn't really work out. They end up turning and hauling ass to mm-hmm. get back to Seymour's guys, to get yeah. back on the line. Um, and you're 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 right, Colquid did sort of run out of gas. Yeah. Um, and Finnegan's like, no, 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 you got to keep going. And Colquid goes, Fuck that. He goes, We've been fighting all day, three yeah. and a half hours. We're tired, it's dark, we ain't doing it. That's probably not what he said to him, but whatever he said to Finnegan, he um, you know, he he basically uh talked him out of pursuing, yeah. right? So after three and a half hours, this battle of Lusty is going to basically come to an end. It's going to be a gigantic Confederate victory. And when you look at the casualties, we're going to look at here in a little bit, it's almost exactly two to one. Yeah, The Union casualties are like the Confederate casualties. Um, but it, this was, again, a situation where you had white officers and white soldiers watching the fighting of the USCT guys, right? We, every time we mentioned the USCT, We always have a quote where somebody talks about them. We talked about, you know, we talked about Nashville. We talked about um you know, we talked about Wilmington. So I got another one here, Mary. This is from a white officer in the eighth USCT. Mm -hmm. He's gonna write, here we stood for two and a half hours under one of the most terrible fires I have ever witnessed. And here in the field of a lusty was decided whether the colored man had the courage to stand without shelter and risk the dangers of the battlefield. And when I tell you they stood with the fire in front on their flank and in their rear for two plus hours without flinching i have no doubt of the verdict of every man black or white so again what is he saying he's saying that these guys can fight just like we can
0: yep
1: right and so you can see the importance of why florida did have such an important piece exactly you mentioned before 180,000 you know, black soldiers infused yep. the union right at the part of the war when they were running out of volunteers Yeah, and you know, what a difference that made. And you can see why, how important Florida was.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I have a quote too, from um, one of the white soldiers and he said that the colored troops went in grandly and they fought like devils, you know? So again, it's this, you know, they're, they're seeing whether these, the white soldiers are abolitionists or not they're, they're seeing what these African American troops are capable of, right? And
1: we don't know if someone yelled, give them help 54th the when they went in. We <laughs> don't know if he said that. But I mean, but even, even in that movie, they, you know, you can see that's the case. These yeah. guys who doubted the mentality, um, but they actually proved themselves. So when you when when the battle's all over, the union had lost nineteen hundred guys out of the fifty, five hundred engaged, a whopping thirty-five percent. It's a staggering number of casualties yeah. in a battle. This is three and a half hours. You lose thirty-five percent of your guys. The Confederates, on the other hand, lost nine fifty out of five hundred, so they took they took a bloody nose too. Yeah. But this was this was a situation where it was a one absolutely slam dunk Confederate victory, um, and one that probably Seymour probably regretted. Sometimes your aggressiveness is a little too come come back and get you, Mary.
0: Yeah. But Seymour doesn't really have. There's no repercussions for him. I don't think after this, like he he ends up. After this battle happens, um, just to kind of wrap things up with Seymour, um, you know, he ends up going back into the eastern theater of the war where he's going to lead Milroy's old brigade as part of the 3rd Division of the 6th Corps at the Battle of Wilderness. He's, um, he's actually going to be captured in a flank attack uh, by General John Brown Gordon during a battle, uh, but he's eventually exchanged. And just to show how this all goes full circle, he's going to be present at Lee's surrender at Appomattox so uh-huh. he is at the beginning of the civil war and he's at the very end and he's also involved in you know he's involved in fort wagner but he's also involved in one of the bloodiest battles of the civil war and one of the biggest battle fought in the state of florida during the civil war oh, there's no
1: question i mean it, it, you know the battlefield you know it's still it's still there for the most part 1909 the state of florida is going to take over the lusty battlefield yeah uh, from the daughters of the Confederacy, Mary, who actually t- who, who controlled it, that they raised money for over a decade. That the um, daughters of the Confederacy to, to raise a memorial for it. Finally, it was October 23rd, 1912. You had about 4,000 people who attended the dedication ceremony at the Alusty Battlefield. Um, it was Florida's first ever military park, you know, for the Civil War. And the thing about Alusty, and I knew this from my Civil Roundtable. That's why I, you know Losty fascinates me. Is this yeah. one presentation I saw? It is one of the more popular um reenactments Mm -hmm. that you can go to and as i understand it what he told me was they actually do the reenactment on the battlefield which is unique um that's you know and you get people from all around the country who come down for this reenactment might have to take a road trip to florida weeks oh yeah oh yeah it's absolutely but the elusty battlefield and that reenactment i guess is quite a thing to see i guess it's a Mm -hmm. it's a big big deal um You know, not much happens in Florida after that. It's kind of a bummer because, you know, a lot of these guys get taken out, like we said at the beginning, um, and they they don't get to defend their home state. There were were some Floridians in this battle. There was a lot of Georgians, right, on on the Confederate side. Um, But, you know, not much goes after that. The Union maintains Fort Pickens, the Holy War. They never give it up. Florida is kind of an outpost. It's kind of there. um, But Richmond doesn't really do much, like we said at the beginning, to defend it. Even after this, they showed they can fight, and they want a slam dunk victory. That's really all you really have out of Florida. It's unfortunate, but uh, you know, a pretty big yep. state down there in deep, deep red Confederate territory, mm-hmm. is um is a situation where they have this one battle. But at least they embrace it. It's still there. Yeah, you can visit it, um, and it's got quite a little place. And the people there absolutely support it.
0: Yeah, and there there is one dark part of the the battle that happens after the battle, and that's that there was like mistreatment of Union black black soldiers by the Confederates which we've heard that before at other battles as well where the, the US CT has fought. It's like there was a number of black soldiers that were killed in the battlefield by roaming bands of southern troops following the close of the fighting. Um, which is a kind of it's, it's a dark part of the battle, but it's one that has to be mentioned um, if you're gonna talk about a lusty.
1: I, I think I think you have to. I mean it's again, it's it's a tough tough place to be. Um, you know those thousand those t- thousand black troops uh, who came out of Florida obviously fought hard. And we saw with some of these other episodes you have done how people from their home states—you know—we talked about, you know, um, North Carolina with Wilmington, yep. how hard they fought for the states, you know, um, that they're from, and it's no—it's no different here. But again, you know, people talk about the 54th mass, you think that it's a one and done situation with uh with with Battery Wagner, Robert Cold Shaw. They went on and they fought yeah. here and they fought they fought Under the
0: same there. and under the same guy that made them go forth at Fort Wagner. So I can't imagine how they felt when they saw them. they're like, oh God, it's him again. Well,
1: it's tough, you know. So you <laughs> yeah. have Montgomery and you've got Edward Needles Hallowell who's gonna yeah. who's gonna command them too. But again, you know something, it it just shows the the valor, it shows the fighting Mm -hmm. effort that these guys had um, in what an important part of American history in the Civil War um, that these USCT guys were. So uh, I think Alaska is a good battle. I'm glad we did this one. I'm glad we talked about it. I'm glad I was able to talk you into this one. Pretty rare situation of me coming up with an idea this time.
0: I, think it's I the we need a battle 75. to do. Jeez, you've yeah. come up with plenty I'm of great ideas.
1: I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So
0: what's coming up for us next? We don't really know, do we? No, we don't. We gotta decide. <laughs> so we will decide <laughs> at some point what our next usually like we're way more prepared for stuff but you know like our first year was pretty easy with you know okay we'll do this battle this battle this battle now we're having to kind of dig a little bit deeper and look at some of these uh battles that don't get talked about as much which is awesome Mm -hmm. you know like we managed three episodes on uh you know fort fisher and wilmington which was awesome um and then oh lusty i am so happy we did it i'm so happy you suggested it because it is a very interesting battle to study and it's a very important one in the civil war um, because you have the usct there but it's also one of the bloodiest battles of the civil war as well that just doesn't so, get talked about and there's some interesting it tells a great there. story
1: because you, you know how often are people going to talk about truman seymour you mentioned the guy, exactly beginning to the end yeah famous painter he, you know he's someone like that yeah um not a lot of people know know who he is certainly nobody knows guys like joseph Finnegan are you know our rich rail, railroad rare you know Robert baron from yeah. Ireland who comes and oh oh it, takes his a, house, but it's a lo- it's a lot of there's a lot of great people involved with this stuff and it is you know and it, there's so many people that make up this this crazy American Civil War we like to talk about and I think every one of these people deserves a voice and deserves uh, well, I... deserves their story to be told so that that's that's why it's a lot of fun doing these
0: exactly I think as much as you know it's cool to study William Tecumseh Sherman study Seymour as well because he's an interesting figure too with what he does you know. Uh, during the civil war as well as afterwards with being a fa- like he's he's a painter his his paintings are in galleries in europe and that's really really cool it is cool. but as it well is like cool. but as well to talk about um the united states colored troops as well mm-hmm. which is, is a story in the civil war to, that doesn't get talked about enough so yeah, i'm glad we're touching is. on it, it.
1: Is. especially during black history month
0: there exactly so there you yes
1: go. so we we are going to drop this episode on youtube soon but it is going to be on our regular podcast channels, the Spotify's and Podbeans and yep. all that stuff. Apple uh, on the twenty sixth of February. Yep. We're going to take a week. We get some stuff going on, yep. and we are going to be pushing our roundtable, which was supposed to be tomorrow. When this yep. drops, it won't matter because exactly. Be, if you're watching be, this, mean,
0: if you're watching this on YouTube, our roundtable is going to be next Wednesday. Um, so if you've never attended before, 6 p.m. via Zoom, Eastern Standard Time, info at civilwarbreakfastclub.com. We will send you an invite. Um, it's just, you know, get together and nerd out about the Civil War with a great group of people. A lot of fun. It's a lot yeah. of fun. All
1: right. So let's call it a day, Mary. We are off to our next thing with our next subject to be determined. So everyone out there, again, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And that uh, we appreciate the support as always. And uh, Mary, as always, you bring it like you always do. You uh, <laughs> intro again. Fantastic, fantastic <laughs> oh, intro. But the uh but the rest was up was equally really, really, really good. Anyway, so any final
0: words from you, true Well, you brought it as well. I learned a lot from you from this battle, and you really like, I mean, you always bring it every single week. You give 110%. So that's awesome. You're an amazing co-host. So thank you. Yeah, I
1: appreciate that. And you and you are as well. So everybody, thanks. Have a great, safe weekend. Uh hope it's gonna be warming out where you are. Hopefully it stays dry. And we will talk to you all, as we like to say, on the other side. <laughs> uncle mary (laughs) see (laughs) you guys
0: later bye